So you remember that God has already promised to Jeroboam that he's going to have ten of the tribes of Israel. There's no doubt in the story that we've read about what's going to happen when we start the chapter. We know how it's going to end, right? Ten of the tribes are going to be taken away from Jeroboam and given to Rehoboam. But you start the chapter and you read about Rehoboam and you're thinking, come on, don't do it. Oh no! How could you be so stupid? You can't help but enter into the drama of the story when you're reading about Solomon's son, the, the king. And, and you don't want to see the kingdom split apart. You don't want to see God's people spread. You don't want to see them fighting each other. You don't want to see the kingdom weakening. You want God's people to thrive. You want to see the kingdom prosper and grow as it, as it was under David and under Solomon, right? And so, even though we know what's coming, I hope that when you read it, you, you are able to enter into the story enough to think, Rehoboam, you don't want what's down that road. You don't want to do that. But God has already promised ten tribes to Jeroboam. And God accomplishes His promise through Rehoboam's foolishness, doesn't He? Rehoboam, son of the great wise King Solomon, because Solomon had fallen into sin, is foolish. Rehoboam is foolish. And God uses that foolishness to bring about the splitting of the kingdom. No longer is there a united kingdom under one ruler, one capital city. But from this point on, they're split. We get used to the fact that there is Judah and Israel. Now you kids know that Judah and Israel, those are the, those are the names here now, from now on, for the two different kingdoms. Does anybody know which one was the northern kingdom? Liam always knows. Judah. Israel, that's right. Israel is the northern kingdom. And so Judah is the western, is that what you said? I know. Southern. Southern kingdom. Well, 
This is where that starts. And we get used to it. We, we, we know we're going to read about Israel and we're going to read about Judah. We're going to read about Israel and read about Judah. And then Judah's king, Judah's king, Judah's king, Israel's king. Israel's king, Judah's king, Israel's, 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 Judah's. And it gets very confusing, right? Because then they start using the same names. And pretty soon we're, we're just left going, well, there's Judah and there's Israel and there's, you know, it's a big mess. And, and we're used to it. But the people of God at this time were not used to it. They were not used to it. They had become accustomed to being 12 tribes united into one kingdom. Under one king. Now, they were, they were definitely still 12 tribes. They still had their own identities, their own uh, lands, their own probably family traditions and family names and, and all the things that go along with being unique, independent to some extent. And if you go back even to David, you'll remember that there were times where it was questionable whether all the tribes were going to be following David. Like one tribe would come back and be like, oh, David, we still want you to be king. And then all the rest of the tribes will come running and be like, yeah, yeah, us too. So it's not as though there was always just one great big monolithic entity. They were always 12. But they had become one kingdom because they were one people under God. They were God's chosen people. And so they were God's kingdom. And so, right here where we read the rejection of the people of Israel for Rehoboam, it's interesting that they go back and they, they specifically state what they are doing as a rejection of David. They go back <clears throat> and they say, and answered the king, saying, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now look after your own house, David. Now, was David still alive, kids? So, why did they say, Look after your own house, David. David's dead. He's buried. He's long gone. Why do they talk to David? You, think, you have any idea why they would say, go ahead, what, what, what do you think, Liam? I saw that hand want, it was just, go ahead, what do you think? Why did they talk to David? Yeah, so they're talking about the house of David, that's, a, that's part of it. That's the, that's the big part of it. They're, they're talking to the house of David. They're, they're talking to uh, the, the kingship of David. They're talking to David's line. They're talking to David's grandson sitting on the throne of David. 
And so, yes, Solomon ruled on the throne of David. And Rehoboam was ruling on the throne of David. It was still David's kingdom. It was still David's house. Look after your own house, David. Look after your own house. So what they're saying is, you know, you're no benefit to us. You're no benefit to us. We have no inheritance in the house of David. We have no inheritance in in Jesse's house. Remember, Jesse was David's father, right? Do you think there was a benefit to being in David's kingdom for the people of Israel? Was there there a benefit when they were under David? Well, yeah, there was a benefit when they were under David. What did David do for the people, kids? What, What can you think of that David did that was beneficial to the whole kingdom? The whole kingdom benefited from things that King David did. Somebody besides Judah's got to raise their hand. You kids listening? What did David do? What was David known for? Yeah. Killing Goliath. There you go. David was described by God as a man of blood. Right? And that's why. Because he was fighting. Killing God's enemies from the, from the moment that he comes on the scene. The people all benefited. All of Israel benefited that day when the armies of the Philistines were defeated at the hands of David through the, through the will of God, right? All of Israel benefited. What about under Solomon? Did the people of Israel, did, did all 12 tribes benefit under Solomon? How would people have benefited under Solomon? What did Solomon accomplish? Yeah, take. He fortified a bunch of cities. What else did he do? He built the temple. Okay, yeah. What else, what else would be a benefit under, under Solomon's rule? Under the being... Under the house of David. Yeah, Judah. What's that? His wisdom. Yeah. And money. Money, 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 money. Importing shiploads of gold into the kingdom. Lots and lots of money 
peace being strengthened and, and, and further established. The temple, the worship of God. We read and we studied chapters of benefit under Solomon for the people of God, right? What did Solomon do that was not a benefit for the people? What did Solomon do that was bad? What did Solomon do that was bad? Titus keeps wanting to raise his hand. Come on, somebody, somebody answer. You already answered. I'm not, I'm not reusing you. Ben, what did Solomon... Oh, I see that hand. Hi. <laughs> what? 700 wives. Yeah, that was a bit of a problem, wasn't it? What else did Solomon do that was, that was not good for the people of God? Fiona. What did Solomon do that was bad? Go ahead. He worshipped idols. He worshipped idols. Okay. Now, let's go back and think about this chapter with all that in mind. Have the people benefited from being under the house of David? Absolutely. Have there been real problems recently for being under the house of David, under Solomon? Yeah, there have. What do the people of Israel bring up that they're concerned about with Rehoboam? Let's, let's, see, what, let's see what they said. They all get together. Verse 4, they say to the king, Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us and we will serve you. Isn't it interesting that they are not concerned about idolatry. They're not concerned about God. They're concerned about what? Work. They want an easier life. Don't they? They want an easier life. Now, how, how easy is it for us to be concerned about how easy our life is? It's very easy to be concerned about how easy our life is. Right? How many of you children know which of your parents makes you work harder at cleaning the kitchen? Does, does your dad have exactly the same standards as your mom for cleaning the kitchen? In my house, when, when I, I was growing up, 
after dinner, my job was to clean up the kitchen. Okay? And I cleaned up the kitchen all the time. But sometimes my dad would come in the kitchen and he would look around. Oh no, here it comes. And he would start to lay down the requirements of what a clean kitchen was actually supposed to look like. He did not have the same standards that my mother had. He wanted hard work from us. We preferred it to be easy work. We like easy work, don't we? But boy, if my dad came in the kitchen, inside the microwave was going to be examined. The stovetop, the window in the oven, behind the sink and the handle and the faucet, the backsplash. And on, and on, and on. And if I were to spend the amount of time that it would take me to clean the kitchen to his standard every day, I would spend all day cleaning that kitchen. It was so unfair when he came in the kitchen. It made my life so hard. Life was so much easier... When my mom came in the kitchen, why do you think my dad came in the kitchen? I have a sneaking suspicion it was because my mom was sick of how bad a job we were doing. Not positive, but I have a sneaking suspicion. The people of Israel wanted Easy work. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just <clears throat> have an easy job and make lots of money? We're, we're way used to the whole lots of money thing. But it's kind of a bummer having to work hard for it all the time. Could we just have all the money but, you know... With it being easy, that'd be great, Solomon's son. And for a while, that might work. If you work hard and spend a couple of hours getting the kitchen really clean, for a few days, the inside of the microwave will be okay. The oven window won't have gotten covered, right? For, for a while... You can coast on the hard work that's already been done. But there's a limit. 
to how long you can be at ease and still have all the benefits of working hard. The people of Israel were concerned about having an easy life. They wanted all of the benefits of what Solomon, ruling the kingdom with wisdom, with hard labor, making use of the slaves of the people that were not Israelites, right? The taxes were high. The benefits were high. They wanted the benefits to stay high, but the taxes to go low. Wouldn't that be great if if life just worked that way, right? High benefits, low taxes. You know, easy work, infinite productivity. Wouldn't that be amazing? It doesn't work that way. And the people of Israel weren't concerned about Solomon's idolatry, Remember that we saw that part of the reason for this judgment that comes on Israel is because of Solomon's idolatry and part of it is because the people had given themselves over to idolatry. So part of what I want you to see this morning is that yes, Rehoboam, Rehoboam, But we can't just jump on the side of the people. What we're seeing here is the foolishness of both of them. And God uses their foolishness. He uses the foolishness of Rehoboam. Now, what was the foolishness of Rehoboam? Foolishness of Rehoboam was to think that he knew more than his father. How many of you have ever thought you know better than your dad? I have. Rehoboam thought he knew better than Solomon. The wisest man. You think the wisest man might have chosen good counselors? Let's go out on a limb and say yes. That's an awful large part of Wisdom is knowing who to ask. Solomon had chosen wise counselors. His son thought he knew better. He had better people to ask. His friends. Young men so often think they know better than their elders.
I'm trying to remember now how old Rehoboam was. I think he was 40. So who's a young man in here? If we're, if we're talking about the, the foolishness of young men, everyone who's under 40 or under, raise your hand. <clears throat> All right. There you go. Those who have lived longer than us and experienced more than us are people that we should go to for counsel, right? Isn't it tempting, though, just to go to our friends who've been through exactly the same things as us and feel and think exactly the same way as us? To have them say to us, Yes, I agree. Your dad's really being a jerk. Yes, I agree. Your mom's really off her rocker. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. It's always nice to have people agree with you, isn't it? And so, Rehoboam is a fool. Because he goes to the young men. And the amazing thing is he heard both of of them. He heard the young men and he heard the old men. And he still decided to be a fool. And isn't that so often the way it is? We think, well, you know, I heard my dad. I heard what he thinks. But I didn't really like what he said. And so... I'm going to go and uh, find someone who will tell me what I like to hear. And so we do hear both, don't we? But we don't hear. We don't hear our fathers. We don't hear our elders. We don't hear the wise men. The older Titus II women of the church. We refuse to hear. We, we have had the words hit us. The air has vibrated around our ears. And yet it is bounced off because we need something that we can agree with. By the time you're old, more and more, you want the counsel of people who are older and wiser, who have gone through more. I'm old. I'm feeling old. But I'm not feeling ready for this. I want somebody who has been through it. I'm feeling less and less like 
my experiences alone, my immediate feelings alone, are enough to go off of. This is the wise man. There's another aspect of Rehoboam's foolishness, though, that I really want to emphasize. And that is, there is a certain kind of man, and again, this often happens in young men. There is a certain kind of man who thinks that he needs to prove himself by his toughness. You saw that. In Rehoboam, right? Let's read it again. They want him to lighten the yoke. The wise men, the elder counselors, say, yeah, speak kindly to them, and they'll be yours forever. The young men say, they've got these nice pithy sayings, don't they? Sounds... Sounds real good, doesn't it? <clears throat> Thus you shall say to the people, verse 10, who spoke to you saying, your father made our yoke heavy, now you make it lighter for us. <clears throat> but you shall speak to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds impressive. Does he have what it takes to back it up? Does he have the wisdom of his father? Does he have the experience of ruling? Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. And so, the king took their counsel, and verse 13, he answered the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men. He spoke to them, my father made your yoke heavy, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events from the Lord. God's the one accomplishing this, isn't he? But Rehoboam's the one who's being foolish. Okay, kids, another question for you. What makes somebody a king? How can you tell if somebody's a king? A crown. What else? What else besides a crown? Yeah. Royal garments. What else? Yeah. A palace. What else? Yeah. Gold and gold necklaces and, and other what? And rings? Yeah, what else? The respect of the people? Is that what you said? 
There's a wise girl back there. Let me let me ask you all you, let me ask all you kids a question. What if you had somebody who was dressed up like a king, the biggest, finest golden crown, the largest necklaces, all the rings and jewels, the garments were purple, and they were walking around at Walmart buying Doritos and would you think this person was a king? There's something a little bit awkward about that, isn't there? I, I would suspect that they were dressed up for a play, wouldn't you? Probably the gold isn't real. What if you went up and you found the gold was real? And, and they said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm actually the king. I'm the king of... Uh, a, a small country you've probably never heard of. It's Timbukizbekistani Fry Land. Would you think they were a king? No, why not? Why not? Because he's in Walmart buying Doritos. <laughs> and there's no such place, is there? See, in order to be a king, you have to have people that you're king over. You can have all the palaces, all the trappings, but the moment that there's nobody who's, who says you're king is the moment that you're not king anymore. Without people, without the respect of the people, you will not be king. You simply won't. And so, Rehoboam, Rehoboam. How could this possibly work? How could you possibly expect this to work? Making the people hate you. When you want to be their king, Very bad plan. Very bad plan. When you look at commanders, when you look at rulers, men like David, who command the respect of their men. Isn't it remarkable how much the men love him? 
there is a certain kind of young man who thinks that because a beloved commander can speak, go, now, right there, run, and everybody will obey, that that's what it takes to be a ruler, that that's what it takes to be a commander. But that's not what it takes, is it? That obedience, unquestioned loyalty, immediate obedience from harsh commands, it flows out of long work of building the trust of your people. That's what it comes out of. They have come to know that you care about them. They have come to know that you love and protect and think about them. Not long ago, I read a book about the Japanese Americans during World War II. <clears throat> and there was a, a large group of Japanese Americans that fought in the United States Army. And they had various commanders at different times. And one of the commanders they had undying lifelong hatred for the rest of their lives. And other of their commanders they had undying love, loyalty and respect for. Both of them sent them into battle where many of them would die. So that wasn't what caused them to love one and hate the other. The difference was the, the man that they hated was concerned only for himself and his own reputation. And so he was willing to sacrifice all of them to protect himself. Whereas the other men, the commanders that they loved, would sacrifice themselves in order to save their men. Look at Rehoboam. He's so utterly confused that he doesn't even know what it means to be a king. 
he thinks that by being harsh, he'll show everybody who's boss. It just doesn't work that way. Solomon was hard. The taxes were high. The expectations were high. The work was hard. But the people knew that he was wise. The people knew that he had proven himself. Rehoboam, he thinks that being harsh is the point. The consequences of foolishness of this sort are huge. Ultimately, it is the loss of the kingdom for him. How many fathers end up losing half of their family because of their harshness. What is driving that harshness? Pride? Self-importance? A feeling of inferiority? What might it be? Any number of things, right? Could be lots of things that would drive a man to act that way. The older, wiser men say, win the hearts of your people. And I echo them to all of you, win the hearts of your children, your wife, your family. Win their hearts. And they will want to please you. You will have them. They will serve you. You can make the burden what you want. They'll love you and they'll do it. Rehoboam doesn't even know the need. And so he listens to the young men. He loses ten tribes that day. God uses his foolishness. God uses the foolishness of the Israelites. And from that, the tribes are split apart. The people of God are no longer one. How many families does this happen to?
Christian families. I just heard of another one yesterday. His wife is living in a secret location to protect her from him. What utter foolishness. And so another family is split apart. You think of 1 Kings and 2 Kings and you remember that the people who would receive these scrolls, this one long book split up into a couple, what did they want? They weren't New Testament people. They weren't from the year 2000. They were Israelites. Jews, reading the history after the captivity, after the split, and you think, what do they want? You read this when you're in their shoes, and it is the splitting apart that is the awful awful start. The consequences of Solomon's sin, of the idolatry, of the foolishness. And for us, we can be like people who get to know somebody after a divorce. Right? You know, you grow up, you got a friend, and I go, oh, find out that you know, his mom and his dad Oh, they're not together. Oh, you know, you're just, you're just living in that, that reality. That's your relationship. You've, that's the way he's always been. That's the way you've known him. And you don't really think much of it most of the time. But when it's happening, all of a sudden you realize how big a deal it is. And when you talk to him, you find out that is the one thing that has defined his life from that point on. The day his parents got divorced. And that's the way that it would have been with the people of Israel reading. This is the defining moment. Everything else flowed out of this. The splitting of the kingdom. The loss of the strength. Two kings. It all, it all started right here. Because why? Because Rehoboam was a fool. Because he couldn't even listen to a wiser, older man telling him, you know, you really ought to be kind to your family. You ought to love them. They, they ought to be able to tell that you love them. You should, you should show them you love them.
Here it is. The fall. The kingdom. It all falls apart from right here. And how does Rehoboam respond? Rehoboam responds by, I'm going to force them. And finally, God steps in and says, no, there is a limit to how far I will let your foolishness destroy everything. And so he sends a prophet. And the prophet says, nope, you can't go and fight the people of God. Shemaiah, the man of God. God says, speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, saying, thus says the Lord, you must not go up and fight against your relatives, the sons of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing has come from me. And now, this beautiful little ending to the chapter. So they listened to the word of the Lord. Oh, praise God. Oh, finally. Oh, praise God. They listened to the word of the Lord and returned and went their way according to the word of the Lord. We know what's coming. The people who read this first knew knew some of the history of what was coming after this, right? They knew that they had ended up fighting at times. They knew of all of the death and murder and slaughter of kings and kings' families and their sons. and They knew all of the wickedness that would flow out from this. But what a relief to read. According to to the word of the Lord. Yes, God used the foolishness of Rehoboam. His harshness, his desire to prove himself, whatever it was. Yes, God used his foolishness to split the kingdom because that was his plan. But if you were reading this, after the kingdom's been split and there have been years and years and years of split kingdom and fights and all the misery of that, wouldn't it be strengthening and encouraging to you to remember God was bringing about His plan from the very beginning? that it was from the Lord when Rehoboam acted that way and that God was merciful in protecting them in saying, no, even your harshness has an end. Even your foolishness I will not allow to go beyond the bounds. God is still thinking of His people. 
God is still thinking of his people. He hasn't abandoned us any more than he had abandoned them when he split the kingdom. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't stopped thinking about us. Even when we see things going badly, So don't be afraid. We have so many promises of God that He will look out for His people even when they have sinned and turned to idolatry. That He will use discipline to draw them back to Himself. So has God lost any of His tools of discipline? No. He can still bring nations down in order to bring repentance. He can still bring rulers who are seemingly secure on their thrones and make them no more rulers because there's no more people. He can still use the foolishness of a harsh father. He can still use a prophet to say, don't fight with each other. You are God's people. Love each other. God is so kind to us. And so, yes, it was God's will to split the kingdom. But when you're reading this chapter and you, you see this was a turn of events from the Lord, and, and you just read a little bit further, and it, it, it says the same thing again, right? It says this was according to the word of the Lord. God is so central in splitting the kingdom and then he is so central in saying and thus far but no further. The waters won't rise beyond this spot on the earth. The kingdom is split but you're not going to slaughter each other. He's accomplishing his plan. So don't lose heart. When you see the state of your family, the fighting of your children, and the lack of unity between you and your wife, learn not to be a fool. And then remember that God has promised to be a God to us and to our children after us. When you see the state of the church and you see people falling into sin and there's idolatry and hypocrisy in so many churches that are claiming the name of God but are promoting 
wickedness and immorality. Remember God's promise. He's bringing about His plan, and His plan is to establish His kingdom. Jesus Christ will sit on the throne and He will have all of the people under Him. All of the people. He's no fool. He is no harsh taskmaster. He is gentle and lowly of heart. And His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Oh man, what a contrast to Rehoboam, huh? Oh, beautiful. What a God we worship. What a King we have. He loves us. He seeks our hearts. And then He protects us. He unites His kingdom. He establishes His church. He makes us into a temple that is beautiful. Like we were studying when Solomon was building the temple. This is us. This is what we're being made into. This is the king we have. No Rehoboam for us. And certainly, as we will see, no Jeroboam. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how kind and generous you have been to us in giving us a king. King who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. King who is no fool, but who knows his people and is tender and compassionate with them. Gentle, who lifts us up and carries us when we are weak and when we are exhausted. And one, Father, who we can look to to protect us from any enemy. Even Satan himself, Father. We know that King Jesus has been victorious. And that the work that he has begun in us, he will bring to completion. Father, we look forward to that day. May it come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen.